Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. But how does his iconic prayer shape our character and help us find intimacy with God? Find out today on the Central Baptist Podcast. Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46. Matthew 26, 36 to 46. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, hello, everybody. And uh, let me add my word of welcome to you as well, whether you're here in the, in the building or online. It's uh, great to be with you again today. Uh, especially given our our uh, teaching series. And uh, if you've been around Central for a bit, you know that we are dealing with, in the middle of, and, and, and actually it's been all through the service so far, the Lord's Prayer, or what we're calling the prayer that embraces the world. Because part of the challenge here, or part of the, um, the nature of the prayer itself, is that it's universal, its scope is universal. It isn't just a matter, it isn't just a matter of our individual daily lives, although as we'll see today, hopefully, it includes that. But it, it, it expands beyond that, it extends beyond that. It is, it considers the entire movement of our globe, of our earth. And uh, the intention that God has to bring it together again, to renew it, to redeem it, under his sovereign care, the way that it was intended. And so today we are looking at the phrase, again, as it's been repeated here, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or, if you remember last week, right, it's an imperative, it's in third person, so literally it's saying, God, please, let it be the case that your will is done on earth. In this realm, this realm that has been broken, this realm that has been marred, this realm that you are actively, because of the cross of Christ, his death and resurrection and ascension, his present ministry, is, is uh, be, uh, being brought back, redeemed, renewed. 
as it is um, on this, in this realm, as it is in heaven, in that part of your created um, universe that is under complete, uh, under your will completely. But it seems to me, but before I kind of, we, we jump into this, I want to do a little bit of, I want to talk a little bit pastorally with you if I could, because it, it occurs to me, uh, well, I'll, I'll put it this way, after a couple decades or a few decades of pastoral ministry, there's few things that I come across, issues in our lives for most believers that cause us the most angst or grief is our prayer life. Uh, I'm sure if uh, I was to go around and ask each one of you or we were to do a survey online, uh, would you like to be a better prayer, if I could put it in those words? Would you like to pray better? I would, I, would, I would bet, if I was a betting man, I'm not, but if I was, I would bet it's probably close to 100%. There's, a, there's, a, there's an implicit challenge and desire. We hear about it, we read about it. We know scripture invites us into this, by God's grace, into this communication, into this connection that we have with God, this conversation that we can have with God. And yet some of us feel, all of us, I think we do at one time or another, feel something is missing, or we at least want to grow. We, we feel like we're not, we're not doing what Scripture teaches us, and we're not accomplishing, we're not seeing these kinds of things. Um, and, and so I, I want to address that a little bit here. And, and to do this, to illustrate this, I want to tell you a little bit about my family. And yes, I do have a family. Now, I realize that might be hard for some of you to believe. Some of you might be wondering, but I am married and have a family. Uh, if you're not aware, I should say, uh, when I first started here at Central in, in December, my wife Michelle and I, we decided that we were going to allow our youngest daughter, Olivia, to complete her final year of public education, her grade 12 year, back in Lethbridge, where they are presently. But that means that I'm here on my own and have been now for a few months. Uh, but I, I do have a wife, her name is Michelle, and she is a real person. Uh, and I feel like I have to say that out loud every once in a while, just to remind myself. Uh, but, um, and there are many significant byproducts of our marriage, my marriage to Michelle. Oh, uh, I should say, here, here, you can show the first picture. Here's, here's our family. So, uh, this is, sorry about the, the quality of this picture. My, my, my family, my kids are going to roll their eyes. I'm not the greatest photographer uh, with my phone. I don't always remember to bring it out. And when I do, the pictures are of kind of that quality. So, but anyway, you can kind of get an idea. That's us on Lake Louise about a year ago. Uh, and, uh, I, and, and so I want to tell you a story about one of my daughters, an interaction that I had with, with her a number of years ago. In fact, this daughter, Cassidy, the one that's going to have the arrow in just a second. There she is. Okay, um, a number of years ago when Cassidy looked more like this, right, about 10 or 11, she and I had had a, a fascinating conversation about prayer. I remember exactly where we were. I remember her room and I remember kind of, she was sitting down in, 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 on her bed and, and I was standing up. We were chatting about, she was having a, a, an issue. She was struggling with something. She was frustrated about something. There was a challenge that she was facing. I don't remember the specific details of this one in particular, but I know she was frustrated. And so I stopped. We were chatting about it for a little bit. And so I stopped for a moment and I said, well, Cassidy, uh, let's just stop for a bit and let's pray about it. Let's talk to God about it. 
I'll never forget how she responded because I think her words, as you'll see in a second, are a reflection of some of the words in the deepest, darkest corners of our hearts are actually echoed in the same way. Maybe not as starkly, but here's what she said. No, I don't want to pray. I've tried that. It doesn't work. I've tried that. It doesn't work. What a great statement. What an honest statement. And as I said, it resonated with me when she said that. Because I, although I haven't put it in those exact words, I felt that. I wonder how many of you have felt that as well. I've tried that. It doesn't work. This is what I mean. This is the underlying issue that we need to address. In fact, we need to address this regularly. Because it doesn't matter how deeply we get to know the Lord's Prayer and the details and the terminology and the context and all of that. If underneath all of that is a mistrust or a doubt or a concern that this activity is actually beneficial or meaningful or purposeful, then we are lost before we begin. Now, in that moment with Cassidy, I was at a bit of a loss, I have to admit. I didn't have an answer just like that for her. So I just took a moment in in my heart and just prayed and asked God just to show me something in her life that I could use to try to help her make sense of this thing that we we, we all challenge, we, we all wrestle with. And... And uh, this, is, this, is, this is, again, I hadn't thought about this before. This was an inspiration in the moment. And this is God's work, I think, coming through. And so I could communicate this. And so at the time, Cassidy loved art and loved to draw and to color and all of that. And so I said, Cassidy, l- l- let me put it to you this way. Let's, what if you had sat down, you were all excited about drawing something, and you had... Uh, you got the nice clean white piece of paper in front of you and you were to take a, a pen or a felt or something and you were to start drawing your picture. And right at that moment, just as you started, that one little line, that first little line, I, I walked by. And I said, oh, Cassidy, that, that's a terrible picture. Oh, and you call yourself an artist? You can't draw at all. How would, you, how would that make you feel? Well, obviously, she said, that would hurt me. That would bother me. And I said, why would that bother you? Because, Daddy, you don't know what I'm drawing. I said, that's it. That's the point of prayer. And so let me encourage you in your prayer life. And I'm certain that, that um, many of you in this room and at home are struggling with this. Because if you've tried it all, if you've tried to engage this with all, uh, at, at all over the course of, of any amount of time, you've wondered. And so let me encourage you to say that there are some times in our lives when we go through these challenges, when we're drawn to pray, when our inclination, when the Spirit at work in us draws us to pray, that we need to pray even though we don't see the great picture that God is drawing at the moment. We just see that line that doesn't make sense to us, that, doesn't, that isn't clear to us, and yet we still need to pray. So 
I want to encourage you with that as we, as we continue and finish off this series, that in spite of all of this, deal with both. Deal with the details of the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that embraces the entire world, but also don't, also nurture and care about your heart with each other. Discuss this with other uh, people. Take opportunities to encourage each other as you pray that God is at work. He's invited us into his work. We don't always see what he's doing, but God is at work. Now let's consider what it means to pray. Let your will be done. I want to do a few things this morning, just briefly here in, in our time. I want to talk about, I want to uh, introduce or give some um, insight into the nature of God's will, so we can try to come to terms with this aspect. And then I want to talk about the, those, the implications of praying your will, or let it be the case that your will uh, is done, Father, as it relates to our conduct, and as it relates to the control that we desire for our lives. So first let's talk about the, the term or the nature of God's will. And here I want to turn to Romans chapter 12, or at least draw this to your attention anyways, because it provides, especially in verse 2, it provides a great summary of the nature of God's will. Uh, the, the nature here in verse 2 is this, three words. It's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. Let me give you the, the full context of these two verses. Paul writes at the beginning of, of uh, Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing, renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? There you go. Each of these ter terms, I think, provides unique insight into the nature of God's will. First, we see that God's will is good. And right off the bat, we're sort of hit with a bit of a confusing thing sometimes, right? Because if we're walking with God, if we are in relationship with, with God, there are times in our lives, all of us know this, where it doesn't feel good to follow Jesus. We're challenged in some way. It could be with our health. It could be with our financial circumstances. It could be with our own uh, level of faith, our own trust, our own growth. And yet here we are at the very beginning to say the first word Paul uses is God's will, that which is good. So what is he saying here? What does he mean by this, this word good? It's, it's not something in addition to God. It is who God is. Therefore, if God's, we are in relationship with God, that means by nature that his goodness, he will impart his goodness to us. And, and, and what is good for us is equivalent to what we were made for. And see, it makes sense, though, when, when you kind of step back a little bit and think about it, right? Our creator, the one who, uh, who originated all of this, who got this all started, who knows you and me, who brought us into being, it makes sense that he's going to know what's best for us. And not just what's best for us, as we'll see, but what's good, what we were made for. Not just in general, not just humans, but as individuals. This is the beauty and the power and the wonder of God's gospel to us. Is that God, he's invited us as individuals, as much as he has as a group. Individuals for us to walk individually with him. And in that, he knows what 
Uh, His will for us is good. But God's will is also acceptable. Or literally means well-pleasing. In the end, so again, when we, when we think through the logic of this a little bit, it makes sense. In the end, if God knows what's best for us, what is good for us, and by virtue of this relationship that we have, because he is good, that his goodness is going to be imparted as a result of this relationship, that we are gonna experience this, and if this is what we were made for, then we're gonna gonna benefit. We're gonna experience the pleasure that comes from stepping in line with what is good for us. Now, as I said, don't get me wrong, I'm not here presenting that everything, as soon as you follow Christ or or start to follow Christ, that everything's gonna go nice and easy. That's not what I'm saying at all. That by the end, each step of the way, remember that little line, we've only seen part of it. Sometimes we don't see it all, but in the end, as we walk and as we take these steps, we we receive his goodness. And as we receive his goodness, we sense his pleasure and we experience joy in the midst of this. This is another characteristic, another part, another part of the nature of God's will. Paul also describes the will of God as something perfect. Again, makes sense when you, when, you, when you think about these three things in relationship to each other, right? If God knows what, who we are, if God knows us as individuals, if God has, and he knows that because he's the one who made us, who brought us into being, and, he's in, uh, and, he's, and he cares about how we live our life, that's another piece I, I missed earlier, that, that's important as well, right? So it's not that God's just designed and got this started and then backed up and said, I don't care about this, I'm gonna go on to something else, but God's invested into, in this world, vested in our lives, invested in our relationship with him, and so he imparts that goodness by his very nature. As a result of that goodness, we, we, we sense his pleasure, we are pleased with it, is well-pleasing, and then as we do that step by step through the challenges through the struggles then we are led to this idea of perfection or another way this word gets translated in the New Testament is is mature or complete right you see this step by step God's goodness imparted to us we we sense his pleasure as we do that we continue to step one at a time through all of this that leads us to this idea of perfection is perfect for us, is exactly what we need. Modern terminology uses the word flourishing, and I'm happy to use that here. This is what's gonna result in our flourishing, is when we walk in step with God's will, when we submit in step-by-step with God's will, that's when we flourish, as humanity and as individuals. That's the nature. This is the characteristic of God's will that we, we, are, um, we mean when we start to pray, Father, let your will be done, right? Doesn't that make sense? We want God's goodness. We want to experience it in our lives, but we also want it to extend to the world, right? We want to, we want to know the, the, the pleasing nature of what is good for us, and we, not just us, but others. And we, and we want to finish this so that God shapes us and molds us and God uses us, and God perfects us. And so we then become mature, complete, lacking in nothing. That's the end, that's the goal, that's the perfection. This is the nature of God. This is the nature of God's will for which we pray. But there is more for us to consider this morning. 
the nature of God's will and the desire expressed in Jesus' teaching prayer raise two issues that challenge some of what feels like uh, part of the very core of who we are. Our conduct, how we choose to live our life, and the control of our life. Who makes the decisions? Who allows to happen or, or for the experiences to happen that, that actually happen? Is it me or is it God? The prayer, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, applies to both God's righteous demands. So yeah, let's deal with conduct first. Sorry, I should have clarified that. Let's deal with conduct first. The prayer, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, applies to both God's righteous demands, right? Again, part of his character, part of what it means to uh, ask for God's will to be done and his de determination to bring about certain events in salvation history. In Matthew uh, chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus explains this. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who, here, catch this, who does the will of my Father in heaven. So there's an expression there's a response to God's will. And, and Phil prayed about that, right? Right at the beginning of his pastoral prayer, he, he addressed this to say, out of our desire to respond to this with our own lives, part of this prayer, when we express, Lord, your will be done, let it be the case, is a desire, is implicit in this, is a desire to say, give me the strength to respond to your will in obedience. So in this case, as we see in Matthew chapter seven, the emphasis is on our active obedience to his commands. So let me be clear right at this moment here. The gospel, the work of Christ, is the cause for our ability even to think about doing this. It's because of his work that is summarized in this term that we use quite regularly, the gospel, it's because of this that we can then say to each other, let's obey God. This is not something that we do on our own. This is not uh, uh, um, something that has to happen first in order for us to be in God's will. This is a response to what God has already done through Christ. This is a response to what God has already offered to us through the indwelling spirit that each of us who follows Christ has in our lives. And so then we can say, with that as the background, then we can say, let us respond in obedience to his expressed will, to his commands. Uh, the gospel writers, the, the, the New Testament writers, actually, Paul for sure makes this really clear. In fact, we just have to go to the, the book we were looking at earlier, Romans, right? The first 11 chapters of the letter of, of the Romans to the Romans sets the groundwork, explains the gospel, what God has done on our behalf in order for, make it, for it to be, to be made possible for us to respond. But then he moves on to our response, right? Chapter 12, we just read the first two verses of chapter 12, begins with the word, therefore. 
As a result of Christ, all that Christ has done, all that God has promised and planned and brought to to fruition through his planning, through the faithfulness of Christ, then we can say, therefore, because of all of that, now we can offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. We can respond in obedience to his expressed commands, his expressed will. But in addition to our obedience, Scripture describes God as working towards particular ends, as willing certain things related to the establishing of God's kingdom. So in many ways, this last line of this first section of the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that embraces the world, is kind of a summary of all of that. What happens when God's name is glorified? What happens when God's kingdom comes is that the result is his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. These two realms are brought together. These two arenas of God's activity are brought together and we see that in Revelation chapter 21 is brought together. And so then his will is done. So God acts, this is part of his will. And this is where the text that Lindsay read for us earlier is helpful. Right? This amazingly dramatic verse, passage of scripture that Matthew records for us and explains Jesus' interaction with his father just before he's about to be arrested. Because he knew he was heading towards his execution. And yet he wrestled with it. Right, and as Matthew said, three times he came and said, God, you know how this is, Father, you know how this is troubling me. I don't, let this cup pass from me. But I also know this. I also know what you intend. And though it's not explicit in the passage, it also needs to be understood, this is what I signed up for, to put it crassly, Jesus saying. This is what I voluntarily have have come to do. I know this. So in the end, I just want to acknowledge not my will, not these feelings of of troubling, uh, not those, not that will, but your will be done. And he does it three times. Because Jesus understood that there's just something about the way God works, that he will bring his salvation, he will bring his kingdom, at some day the kingdom will come, at some day Jesus will return. It's inevitable, and Jesus said that's part of God's will. He acknowledges that, not my will, but yours be done, no matter what it means, no matter what I have to do, no matter how I suffer. Agreement is at the heart of God's will, even for Jesus. To pray this prayer then means that we are putting our conduct on the line. How I think I should live myself against God's will. And again, Jesus' example looms large for us. Three passages I just want to quickly highlight for you, where Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. This is a commitment. We need to reflect this in our lives. Jesus said elsewhere, I seek not my own will in John chapter five, but the will of him who sent me. This should be echoed in our prayers. It should be, we should uh, recognize this implicitly when we're praying, Lord, let your will be done. I don't seek my own will, but, but your will. And then finally in John chapter six, I have come down from heaven, Jesus said, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And in some ways we can pray something, pray something similar, right? I exist, I'm alive, not for my own will, 
but God, for your will. That's a challenge though, right? That's a struggle we have with, uh, it, right? It's not easy. It doesn't always make sense. It's not always a, 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 an obvious step, but this is all part of the prayer. Let your will be done. Right? It isn't who, just who Jesus is that is important to us. It isn't just that Jesus is God and he's divine and his sacrifice is perfect and complete and nothing else needs to be done, that he has accomplished it all. It's not just who he is, but how he lived also that is important. His righteousness makes it possible for us to be righteous before God and then pray that our lives display God's will through our conduct, just like Jesus did. Don Carson summarizes these ideas for us nicely in his commentary on Matthew when he writes this. So, for that will to be done includes both moral obedience and the bringing to pass of certain events, such as the cross. It is therefore, hear this, impossible to pray this prayer, Lord, let your will be done, Uh, impossible to pray this prayer in sincerity without humbly committing oneself to such a course. This is the profound nature of this line, let your will be done. It includes, by necessity, um, this aspect of humbly committing oneself to that course. But it's not just about our conduct. In addition to our conduct, the will of God impinges also on the control we demand for our life. And that's number two, the second part, our control. Here we look to James's letter for insight. In chapter four, at verse 13, we read these words. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, James suggests, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Some pretty harsh-sounding words from Brother James. That's his style, though. If you know his letter... To me, reading James is like someone grabbing you by the collar and kind of shaking you and saying, you got to get things together. So, so what, what James said here, all oh, boasting is evil. You boast in your arrogance. That's, that's James grabbing us by the collar saying, listen up. Don't get distracted. Get things straight. We do these things by God's will. Last week I explained, so just another tidbit for uh, understanding James a little bit. Last week I talked about the imperative mood. And um, in my opinion, James is the king of the imperative. He averages an imperative. Remember the imperative, the exclamation mark, right? The passionate expression, the command. He averages one imperative every two verses. So if if James, if I can put it another way, if James were, were texting you, if he was alive now and he was texting you, it would all be in caps lock. I'm certain of it. So, but James's point is that the activities of our lives themselves also fall under the sovereignty of God. God is just as interested in where we are going as how we are getting there. He is orchestrating not only the details of who we are, crafting us into a vessel that is useful for his purposes, 
but he's also orchestrating a wonderful symphony with all our lives. One note that is played through the event of my life corresponding to, but on a different line, is another note of your life, and so on. Different notes played together that result in divine harmony. And as with a good piece of music, sometimes the melodies change, sometimes the keys change, sometimes it's a major, it's a minor, sometimes the piece intentionally contains discord in order to then demonstrate the relief that comes from a resolution. But this is God at work. This is God's interest in our lives. This is God's intention of not just looking at our conduct, not just inspiring our conduct as individuals, but in orchestrating that. So this aspect of God's will relates to the question, well, how do I know God's will for my life? The answer comes from both segments of the will of God. First, he has communicated his will in terms of our conduct, the how part of our life. Part of knowing God's will comes from digging into scripture on our own and with others. Reading and seeking to understand that part of God's will is relatively straightforward, obedience. That's our response. How do we know God's will? Obey. Step one is to decide to trust God enough with your conduct. The second piece can be a bit more mysterious, but that's where James comes in. Following James, we acknowledge that God's will is good for us, that it is pleasing to us, and that it means that it is the means by which we flourish as human individuals, but that some of the details are not immediately known at the moment. So we make our plans, this is James' advice, and then we commit them to God such that we find peace in God's will and not ours. The line, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, provides a way to conclude this first section of Jesus' teaching prayer. Ultimately, God's name will be glorified and God's kingdom will come. This is the promise that we read in verses 10 and 11 of Philippians 2. You know this passage where Paul writes to the Philippians so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth, those realms, everybody. And under the earth. And every tongue confess, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's his promise. That's his claim. In his commentary on Matthew, our source for the Lord's Prayer again, John Noland summarizes this for us. He writes this. The third petition, the one let your will be done, encompasses the scope of the first two, unifying their respective present and future orientations by focusing on the common central thread that in a comprehensive way, people should come to act in conformity to the will of God. So, how can we respond? I'm gonna go over three things, and and as I do that, I'm gonna invite the music team to come uh, back on stage to get ready for our, our next song. How do we respond? Let me suggest three things. First is this, pray this prayer with awareness, especially this, these first section, this first section that we've gone through already. Pray this prayer with awareness. And I meant to mention this last week, but if you haven't memorized it yet, memorize it. Start there. Again, don't, don't see it. Remember, this is Jesus' teaching prayer. This isn't the only prayer, but this is a way to help put our, the rest of our prayers in context. So memorize it. 
But, but then as you do, remember, this is meant to be prayed with passion, to engage this prayer. God, let it be the case. Let it be the case. Number two, to grow in your trust of God's will for your life by developing your understanding of who God is. This is where we just need to be in scripture. This is where we need to be in community. This is where we need to have conversations. We need to grow in our understanding so that our trust can grow as we get to know who God is. Right, the, the, the purpose is that we can take another step forward in our trust and our expression of that. And then finally, th- number three, encourage others to trust God's will as well. Enter into the challenges with people, right? Don't feel like you have to have all the answers, right? I didn't, when I, when I chatted with Cassidy and, and gave her that illustration, when God did and, and he inspired me to do that, it wasn't the detail, it wasn't the answer, it was the perspective that God brought, right? Did you catch that? So sometimes we need to enter in with people and say, look, I don't know the specifics. I, I, I really don't know what you should do at this particular moment, but I do know this, God is trustworthy, Let's pray together and let's see what God does. Encourage each other. You and I are invited to not only pray that God's will is done as if it's something only out there. That is part of it. We are also invited to join in with God's will and submit to his will with our lives and in so doing, declare that he is good, he is pleasing, and he is perfect. In just a moment, we are going to actually worship in that vein, in a special way. In addition to the song we're gonna sing, we're gonna also take part in the Lord's Supper, in communion together, that ultimate expression of declaring, God, your will be done, your kingdom come. And we thank you for all that you've done to make this possible. Let me pray. Father, before you, we do wish to be able to pray with a greater and greater intensity. Your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. God, you know we struggle with this. All of us do. It's hard because sometimes, because we don't see everything. And we feel like we've got things under control in some, at some point. And the world tells us that we can take control. So God, help us. Help us remember that at the heart of this is obedience. At the heart of this is the fact that our conduct matters as a response to what you've done and also the control that we don't actually have. So, so I guess, Father, this prayer is a request that for each person here, for each pers- person, person watching, Father, help us to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Podcast.